that the same mind be in you that was in Christ Jesus, who, though he was in the form of God, did not regard equality with God as something to be exploited, but emptied himself, taking the form of a slave, being born in human likeness. Being found in human form, he humbled himself and became obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. Therefore, God also highly exalted him and gave him the name that is above every name, so that that the name of Jesus every knee should bend in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue should confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. This is the word of the Lord. Our Bishop Robert E. Hayes, Jr., during this Lenten season, scheduled four retreats and ask that every Oklahoma Methodist preacher uh, sign up to be on one of those retreats with him. The one that worked best for me was about three weeks ago. On a Monday, I drove down to Camp Egan over near Tahlequah. As I looked around the group that was gathering, I saw seven ministers who took Methodist doctrine while I was teaching it at Phillips Theological Seminary. And so at mealtimes that three days, I found a way to sit with one of those after the other, sometimes two at a time, asking, how are you doing, how things are going for you? And one after the other said, well, it really did help us that you told us what the Board of Ordained Ministry was going to expect of us. I remember telling them again and again, the Board of Ordained Ministry is going to ask you any number of things. You have to write pages and pages and pages. But for sure, one thing they're going to ask you is, can you explain to us the statement, Jesus Christ is Lord? And I said, you'll be expected to write pages about Jesus, that flesh and blood person, what you know about him about what it means to call him Christos, the Greek word for Messiah in Hebrew, and what it means to call that Jesus Messiah the same as the God of the burning bush, Lord. I knew that this text was coming up on this particular Sunday, and I knew that this is Paul's effort to explain those four words to you. Let's take a look. Number one, he begins by saying that though Jesus was in the form of God. He did not count that as something to be exploited, to be grasped, to be seized, but rather took on himself the form of a doulos, a servant or slave, depending on the context. Finding himself in the form of a human being, form of God, form of slave, form of human being. Majid Majidi is a movie director-producer in Iran. He is the only Iranian who's ever had one of his movies nominated by the Academy Awards as Best Foreign Language Film of the Year. He has a new one out that's just being released. It's called The Song of Sparrows. Mr. Majidi says that you should see my movies as if they are parables. That though the title is Song of Sparrows, it's really about ostriches. In Iran, he said, ostriches are seen the same way they are in America. A big, dumb bird that cannot get off the ground. He said, they really are dumb. We had to pick up everything that we had with us because if you left a little piece of rope lying, they would simply eat it. You need to know, he said, that in ancient Persian tongue, the word for ostrich is a combined word. It means camel and bird. 
It's a beast like a camel. It can carry fairly heavy loads, but it also has wings. But you can imagine that sometime, a long, long time ago, surely this bird got off the ground and has forgotten how since then. My movie is a parable, he said. It's a parable about ostriches. I discovered that the people who ran this ostrich farm really felt for these big, dumb birds. There was an empathy there, an empathy like one who can hear the song of one sparrow, like a child who seems to have an instinct for feeling what someone else is feeling and caring what somebody else is feeling. Paul says the first thing you need to know about Jesus is that he was sent by God to convince you he cares what's happening to you and he understands your every feeling. Number two, finding himself in the form of a human, he became obedient, obedient even to the point of death, even death on a cross. What a horrible death to have nails driven in ankles and wrists, to be hoisted up against the sky so that the desert air parches you, dries you out. You kept pushing yourself up to take one more breath and slumping down again, pushing up to take one more breath and slumping down again until lungs are filled with fluid and you die. In most cases, families were not allowed to take the bodies down from the crosses. Most of the time, the victims had to hang there for days until packs of wild dogs would come and tear the flesh away. Horrible way to die. Being faithful, being obedient, showing God's love no matter what. The Wall Street Journal had an article the other day about this coming Wednesday. This April 8th, the most conservative of Jews around the world will have a special prayer service as the sun rises. They believe that every 28 years on this particular day, the sun is in exactly the same position as it was when God created the heavens and the earth. Now, don't expect this service at Temple Israel. Don't expect this service at Congregation B'nai Emuna. I said, the most conservative of the Jewish groups. We have them in Christianity as well, of course. People who still believe that God created the heavens and the earth in six 24-hour days and believe he did it a little more than 5,000 years ago. This calculation by this ultra-conservative group is really based on an old understanding of the universe. I mean, it's really based on that understanding that the earth is the center of the universe, that the sun goes around the earth once every 24 hours, creating daylight and dark. By the way, so is the zodiac, so is the horoscope based on that same era of history. So that's not where the Jews in Tulsa are, but it's where this very conservative group is. And as this author of the article I was reading kept talking about all the things that are planned for this coming Wednesday by this ultra-conservative group, he finally said, but you see, it's really much easier to get excited about doing something once every 28 years 
than trying to do it every day. The prayer is, Blessed art thou, O Lord, the creator of the heavens and the earth. And Paul says, This Jesus of Nazareth did it right every day. Every day he trusted God, and every day he was willing to put himself out for the well-being of everyone else. Number three, this passage changes with verse 9. Verses 5, 6, 7, and 8, Jesus is the subject of all the verbs, and suddenly God becomes subject of all the verbs. It begins, this dramatic change, with the word, therefore. Therefore. Three weeks ago, when I was at this retreat, uh, we had an outside spokesman, a, 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 a seminar director who had come all the way from Philadelphia, Pennsylvania. But early morning and late evening, just before we went to bed again, we had someone locally, one of our own clergy, give the devotional. And Monday evening, the devotional was given by a minister, our little church at Morris, Oklahoma. His name is Nathan Maddox. Nathan's a native of Arkansas, went out to California to our Claremont Seminary and came back this far to Oklahoma. Um, Nathan showed us a picture. It's called Christus uh, Pantocrator. Uh, I've seen this, this picture. It's the oldest known painting we have of Jesus. It goes back more than 1,500 years, not to his lifetime, but more than 1,500 years. Scholars believe that it was painted in Constantinople. It bears all the marks of a Constantine, if you would, artist. But that's not where it's been kept all these years when the Muslims uh, asserted themselves over in the city of Constantinople, taking over the magnificent Church of St. Sophia and other Christian sites. This painting was spirited away from the city of Constantinople. And the people who got it, these Christians who wanted to keep it safe, went all the way into the Sinai Desert to St. Catherine's Monastery. And that's where it was kept all these hundreds of years, in that desert place that preserved it wonderfully well. Nathan projected this painting onto a screen, and it's a really wonderful painting. Uh, looks like a person of warmth and kindness and compassion until he covered up everything except the left eye. And when Nathan covered up everything except the left eye, you saw something you hadn't seen before. That left eyebrow is raised like so, and there's a steeliness to the eye. It's the eye of one who could chase the money changers out of the temple. It's the eye of one who saw how the rich and the powerful were taking advantage of the weak. Those who had no voice, those for whom no one else was caring. It's an eye of judgment. But then he covered up all the rest of the face except the right eye. And it was so different when you saw just the right eye. It was an eye of warmth and compassion and caring. That God, who was in Christ Jesus, was judging the world by who we were and how we were acting and reaching out in great compassion and love and begging us to go a different route, a different route. Number four, he has exalted him was point three and he has given him a name, point four, and that name is not Jesus. The name he gave him was the name that he gave to Moses, not for Moses, but to Moses at the burning bush. 
Eye Asher Eye, he had said, I am who I am. And that name at the burning bush is translated in the Greek rendering of the Hebrew scriptures as Kurios. It's the name we have in gold in the mosaic in the great hall on the south end. On the north end in gold, the name, the Eye Asher Eye name. And in the south end, the name given to Jesus, that he was in fact the same as God and that what one sees in Jesus, one knows to be true of God. Down at SMU in Dallas, we have a museum called the Meadows Museum. The Meadows family have given millions of dollars to our university. And the Meadows Museum is said to have the greatest collection of Spanish art outside of Spain itself. When they opened the new Meadows building, the king of Spain came for that special ceremony, the cutting of the ribbon. But right now, for two months, there's a special exhibit that's been brought from Florence, Italy, much that we've discovered about the Etruscan civilization. The Etruscans lived between the Po River and the Tiber River about 800 years before the coming of Jesus until about 150 years before he arrived. It was reviewed in the Wall Street Journal the other day, this exhibit, and the man who was writing about it, you could tell he was walking through this magnificent collection, which Gail and I have seen in Florence. He said, well, they had weapons of war. Don't know if they were waging war or simply defending themselves against others, but there they are, all kinds of instruments of war dating back 2,800 years ago. Then he came to a section and he said, well, they certainly had a home life. Here are all kinds of relics that have been discovered from people's homes. Some of them modest folks, some of them very wealthy people, but all of these things you would find around a home from pottery to china to uh, beautiful things made of bronze, silver, and gold. And then as he walked through another section, he said, but wow, look at these magnificent sarcophagi. How beautifully decorated are these boxes holding the bones and bodies of the deceased. I tell you, death brought out the very best in these Etruscans. And Paul says, you've heard nothing yet. Death brought out the very best in Almighty God. Amen.